Welcome to Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast, where we hear real stories from real people and we tackle all sorts of fun topics in the areas of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, mindset, the arts, and well, life itself. It's amazing what you'll pick up. Thanks for joining us. Another great episode of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast. Darren Saul here, your host. I hope you're doing well. It's episode 215, and I have the fantastic Lynn Kendall in the house. How are you doing, Lynn? Great, thanks. How are you? Thank you for joining us from Brizzy. Yep, yep, from downtown Brisbane. Really appreciate you coming. And today we're going to be chatting about empowering young people to navigate life's curveballs. So Lynn is an educator that has been working in the education and psychology field for over 20 years. The Resilience Tutor was developed after seeing and understanding the struggles that young people were experiencing in life. In response to this, Lynn developed a comprehensive suite of learning resources to help support teachers, families, and young people on their path to resilience. Lynn is constantly inspired by the concept that young people can learn to be their own teachers through self-mastery, and by developing a love of learning. It was this vision that led to the development of a resilience teaching framework and a suite of complementary books and journals. Together, these elements personalize the education process and support young people on their journey to greater resilience, giving young people skills for life, enabling them to thrive for this generation. I love it. It's a great topic and more important every single day. I think it's something that we're all wanting to learn more about. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yep. I love talking everything resilience. It's just amazing. Absolutely. And I love, and I, my mantra is creating resilient futures because, you know, I believe it's this generation's responsibility to get our next generation ready for their generation. Who knows what their generation is going to look like? Absolutely. I don't even want to contemplate that. But if we get them in a place of readiness, then they can pivot and do whatever it is that they want to do. And to yep. me, that is resilience. And sometimes so misunderstood too. We understand that sometimes resilience is either about bouncing back from a difficult experience. And I love to broaden that definition definition of what resilience really is, you know, because to me, resilience is also about connecting to us, you know, and understanding our journey and how that looks, because of course, it looks different for each and every person. So I, I love to reframe with the children around what resilience actually really means for them. And with adults too, because I totally right. I totally love working with adults as well. My passion is for teaching children. I've yep. been an early education teacher for a long time in Education Queensland before I went through into the psychology aspect because I became curious, wanted to learn more. But, you know, it's just great when you say to children, what really, what does resilience mean for you? And when you go around the room, you've got 25 kids in the room. You've actually got 25 different definitions. Definitely. Which I, think awesome, Definitely. Which I think is awesome. I'd love to dive a little bit more into your journey and kind of explore how this came about and what was the precipitating factor that made you decide to go on this journey and develop the Resilience Tutor. Yeah, yeah. I love telling this story. So I was working in Education Queensland as a guidance officer. It's what they're called in Queensland. We're basically psychologists and I trained in psychology. And what my job was was to work with young children who had lots and lots of life difficulties. And when I started that job, I went, and when I started becoming a psychologist, I went, hmm, this is a bit of a dumb profession I've got myself into because I have to wait for children to have negative life experiences and more than one before they can come and see me. 
Sure. And I went, mm. and then my job was to unravel all of that and help them onto the next part of their journey, which was awesome. But putting my natural teacher hat on, I went, mm, this is not making sense to me. It's a bit like the horse and the cart, you know, and why do I have to wait for our young children to struggle before I can help them? So putting on my teaching hat, I went, I'm going to create a program. First, I'm going to understand the struggle. And let me tell you, after over 20 years in the education department, I can tell you about that struggle very clearly. Mm. You know, not only the struggle of our young people, but also the struggle of our teachers and the struggle of our parents, knowing how to support our young people. So I was surrounded by this struggle. But, okay, I'm going to listen to this voice of struggle and see what it's telling me. So I listened to many parents, many teachers, many students. And what I really discovered in that process was them not understanding themselves. You know, who am I was a constant question that was being asked. So I went, okay, so I've got young people not understanding who they are, not understanding how they fit into sometimes their family, sometimes society, and quite often the school, I'm going. And then I had a group of Year 7 students. When Year 7 was a thing in Queensland, before they decided they weren't no longer a primary school children, they were high school children, but our Year 7 students were in primary school at the time. And I was given eight Year 7 boys. And I said to the teacher, okay, what's the goal? And the goal is I want them to have happy life experiences in class. Went, cool, no problems. Let me solve that problem for you. As in my mind was going, how the heck am I going to do this, you know? But when you come and work with me, I do everything on the whiteboard. So we started writing up positive thinking, positive emotions, negative thinking, negative emotions. And all of a sudden, a mathematical formula came and went, oh, my gosh. And I said to the boys, have we just worked out a mathematical formula for understanding our thoughts and our emotions? They're looking at me and I'm looking at them. And I said, go and prove and disprove, go or prove or disprove me. I, we could be wrong, you know. So off they go. And one little boy came back in and he says, I've proven it. It's correct. I said, <laughs> awesome. Another little boy comes back in the room. He says, it's wrong. And I said, awesome. What have you learned? Anyway, so we changed the mathematical formula to to go with his new learning. I went, yep, you're totally spot on. Another little boy came back in and he says, we're also wrong. I said, oh, great, tell me why it's wrong. And he said, he explained the concept to me. I said, oh, I've got a problem with my mathematical formula. It's not going to work with that. But I explained that to children when I work with them. Anyway, I, I that goal was achieved. I was able to put them all back into class. They totally understood their emotions. They totally understand their thoughts. And they understood how to be happy children back in class. Yes. And then this other little boy came to me who was, because I was known as, you come to see Miss Kendall when you're in the naughty, yeah. in the behaviour chair or the naughty chair. And I said, why are you coming to see me? I said, you're generally one of the children that just get on with life, awesome learner, things are happening for you. I said, what's happening? He said, well, you made such a difference in Johnny's life. I want to know what you taught him. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. So I went, oh, really? And so he understood that impact. But then, So I went to the principal, run, 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 run. (laughs) I don't want to teach just individual groups of children. I want to teach whole class. Amazing. So it was actually back in that day, that was the starting point of my journey where I understood the voice of struggle. I was able to work with the children in a unique way. And then I went, oh, my gosh, every child needs to learn this. And so I started my whole school process, you know, way back in those days. And off I went, taught every single class and was getting the results. And and it was just, it was totally an amazing journey, you know, to be able to connect with children in that way that I knew that was totally different. And so they sort of created the programs for me. I mean, 
way back then, I still use the exact same mathematical formulas today. And I still use that lens of curiosity. Go on, prove or just prove me. Because, you know, there's nothing like a good piece of science, I say, to make sure that I'm talking about the right track around resilience. Definitely. And when did the books and all the other complementary material come about? That came back about five years after that journey because I right. thought, how am I going to capture this? And I started working, still working um, in education Queensland and then working with groups of children as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, I decided, and I was a bit of a quandary around my books because I first started writing with characters, you know, with people. And I went, mm, that doesn't quite fit right. So anyway, then I created four characters, Owl, Turtle, Monkey and Dragon. And I went, oh, my gosh, these animals just represent our emotions and our thoughts and the journey that we're all going through in terms of self-mastery. So anyway, they just then became the four characters within the very first book that I wrote, which is The Ultimate Experience Discovering Me. And how that title came about was when I was learning to write because I never thought I would publish a book, they said to me, your title is The Outcome. What is it that you want? for for every child. I went, well, actually, what I want for every child is ultimate experience. I mean, let's face it, aren't we here on planet Earth to have the ultimate experience? Absolutely. And what I had learned throughout my career was the way to have that ex- ultimate experience was to discover ourselves. So, of course, the first one is called The Ultimate Experience Discovering Me. And there's a journal that goes along with that because it's just great to get that depth of learning into the process. So, of course, the natural progression was, of course, for teenagers, because I totally love working with teenagers as well. I call them the lost teenager only because they remind me of myself. (laughs) You know, I was one of those people that didn't quite transition from childhood so elegantly (laughs) into adulthood. I discovered there was a divide, as many of our teenagers do. So, of course, what did I want for them? The ultimate experience. Of course, that book's called The Ultimate Teenage Experience because that's the experience I want them to have. But we take our journey a little bit deeper with the teenagers. You know, they've done a lot of learning. They've had a lot of different life experiences by this stage. So, for me, it was all about delving into the power of perspective. So, when we see things from different perspectives, and you know teenagers, I'm sure, that is one of those tricky things that they can't quite put their head around that there's all these different perspectives, you know. So When you're young, also, you think you know everything because you only (laughs) see everything through one lens, but you think you know everything. And as you get older, you realize how much you didn't know. Yeah. But, you know, it's a fun time for for them to discover that as well. You know, that's all part of the learning process in itself. So that book is based on an acronym of perspective. um, And we we delve into a whole pile of different topics into there, including passion and purpose, because one of the things I love teaching um, and discovering for our young teenagers is what is their passion and purpose, you know? So, um, I worked with one teenager in particular, and he didn't have a good schooling life at all. Mm-hmm. School was difficult right from the word go from prep. Yeah. He came to see me at about grade nine and going, hmm, and we connected, and he goes, hmm, not sure how life's happening, because I knew it wasn't happening for him from mum, you know, and she connected us. And I said, you know, what is the one thing that you would totally love to do in this lifetime? You know, what is your total passion? I knew he was into cars and trucks and was really good on directions. He says, I just want to become a tow truck driver. I said, awesome. Perfect. So we worked out how he's going to do that. He came to me before he was eligible to drive, but we had a plan. So we had, he went and found a job. So, and all those savings went towards his first tow truck. So to now he has a large tow truck company, has a few, five employees and off he goes as happy as Larry, you know, and I just, 
feel like we need to do that with our teenagers a little bit more when they get to that space. You know, where is it that we'd love to be? Um, and, and life can be trial and error basis, and I totally love that part of the process for the learning, but sometimes it's just nice to have that helping hand through the process. I love that. Well done. Yeah. Why do you think that people struggle with resilience more and more these days? Ah, oh, that's always a tricky question. And there's many different answers to it. It's on one hand, we just don't understand who we are. We don't understand our emotions. We don't understand our thoughts and we don't understand our energy within our body. And sometimes when I work with children who have maybe ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, where I start working with those young people is understanding the energy within their body because their body is stuck in high energy. So their body hasn't learned to go from high to center to low, low to center to high, and naturally have that nice flow of energy through our body. And they go, really? I've got energy in my body? Okay, yeah, can't you feel it every day? But we just haven't had those conversations with them yet. Yeah. So sometimes... and. When I work with young people, I have a very different way of explaining what's actually happening within your body. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned that through neuroscience strategies when I studied neuroscience as a psychologist. I mean, if I had my time again, I'd be a neuropsychologist. But anyway, haven't got time for that. But <laughs> I've studied it enough to understand it and really talk through the children with those strategies. And they go, actually, that makes sense. Once again, understanding self. So sometimes it's resilience is because we don't understand who we are. Sometimes resilience comes back because we don't understand the experience that we've had. Yep. So we go through what I call a tricky life experience, my turn, because that to me is what they are. So when young people come to me, I say, wow, oh, you've just, I'm guessing you've had a tricky life experience. And they go, yeah, I have. How did you know? I said, because we all have them. So sometimes it's about the normalization process. So when I work with young people, I very rarely work one-on-one. -on -one. I work in groups because we often experience the same things, but we don't put a voice to that. So therefore, we feel like we're the only one going through that experience. And of course, other people haven't been through that experience. So when you put a group of people together and we're discussing the topic, they go, oh, that's happening for you too. And that's happening for you too. I go, Yeah. I had this one little boy come to me once and he says, I've got schizophrenia. I go, really? How do you know? And he says, because I've got this little voice in my head. I said, oh, let me tell you about that little voice in your head. I said, we all have one. But he'd never had a conversation <laughs> with anybody. Yeah. And of course, in society sometimes. What was, what was normal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just had no clues that he was normal. And then... um because sometimes in society, rightly or wrongly, we've we've gone into this bit of labelling phase of what we think. Mm -hmm. We get on Mr. Google. We go, oh, voices in the head equals this. Yes. Anyway, all day he spent the next day go, do you have that little voice in your head? Do you have that little voice in your head? <laughs> and he asked a gazillion people. And they all went, yep, yep. <laughs> we've all got that little voice in our head. But if we don't have those conversations with our young people, that's they true. don't actually know what it is. So I'm normalizing a lot of conversations. Like my grandkids perfectly think it's okay to talk to yourself in the car, you know, or, or wherever. I've normalized that process because it is perfectly okay. Yeah. But where do you think parents and teachers play a role in helping people develop resilience? Do you think we're too easy on the, the younger generation these days and ever before? No, I don't think it's about easy enough. I, I think it's about not understanding the generation enough for me. Right. Like I tell the story when I went to school, so I'm not disclosing my age here, but you can work it out from the story. <laughs> when I went to school, I sat on long wooden benches and roached with inkwells. 
Wow. You know, when my kids went to school, and I have four four children, they had individual desks and they wrote with pen and paper. Yep. Now, when my grandchildren went to school, yep, I have seven of those. And they took an iPad to school yep. and had flexible learning environments. Now, I have no clues what the next generation is going yeah, to take. Can you imagine? They'll just be doing it on their phone or a chip or who knows what. I know, right? But the one thing they need to know, and it's been consistent across the generations, is knowing who they are. So if we know who we are as people, then they can pivot in any direction that they want to go in. When I went to school, I'll go back to the story. You know, there wasn't people actually only went to school when I went to school. If they they could get to school, they were academically tuned in to be at school. Otherwise, they were out on the farms farming. They were doing whatever job it was that really worked for them. Yeah, society changed. You know, so so is the education system changed that little way. Oh, we need people now to go and work in factories. So we need to impart this type of knowledge to our children. And, of course, we've come across this amazing technological era, you know, and we go, okay, not sure how this is going to play, you know, and the kids, as we know, have taken over that that space for us. Like my grandkids, I give them the iPad and go, you make that work. Um, and off they go. So, but once again, it's about just not understanding who they are in that space. They can use the technology, they can make all of that work. But if I ask them to go and do something different that I haven't experienced before, then they sometimes come back to me and say, oh, I can't do that. Because the technology in some way has changed the society and we sort of haven't worked out what that looks like, sounds like, and feels like for us yet. So I feel like we've got ourselves a little lost within that journey um, in that part of the process. And it's all learning. Like we're meant to be evolving as a society and we're doing that awesomely. But, you know, when I say to children, we're meant to be evolving as people. And they go, oh, is that our job here on planet Earth? Oh, my gosh. I can actually grow as a person any way that I want to go. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. The world's your oyster. So in terms of the parents and the teachers, I'll say this delicately, I don't think the education system has quite kept up with with that evolution. And I think in all honesty, the parents, there has been for some reason in this generation, we've had this huge jump from where we are to where we are now. And when we have a jump or a leap, sometimes there is also what we call the resilience pit. And sometimes we fall into that pit and sometimes we can work out beautifully how to get out. Other times we need somebody to come and help us get out. And as we know, for some poor little ones, they end up at the bottom of the pit and go, oh, given up. You work out how you're going to get me out, you know. So, you know, and, and I feel for the parents because I don't think it's about parenting. You know, I've come to that conclusion very early and I love working with the parents as well, you know, but there has, because there has been this huge divide and we haven't learned how to bridge, and I call it the resilience gap, we haven't learned how to bridge that yet. So therefore we've got this open little resilience gap that hasn't been bridged. So, you know, for all those parents out there, it's certainly not a parenting, go easy on yourself because it's certainly not a parenting problem like some people would love to say oh they just haven't been parented right again no no no. I believe every parent out there does the best job they can possibly do sometimes rightly or wrongly for whatever reason the parents might not have had that opportunity to be taught in the same way that I now teach our young people about resilience so and of course our education system 
we know academics is the top of their priority list, you know, and the poor social emotional curriculum, you know, just takes less of a priority. So mm. I love working in, in schools. So I have a whole school curriculum and I love nothing better than going in from prep. And I have just batch released my early childhood books. I've written four of those. Mm. Yeah. And I, so I love nothing better than to go into prep right the way through to year six and even into high schools to, to, to explicitly teach them the content that I've learned. Yeah. over my career um, and I just love sharing it. And I, like I could retire now and sail off into the sunset and become a grey nomad. But, you know, why would I want to go across the country and just, you know, be in my caravan or be out in the boat when I can really teach young people how to create resilient futures? I love it. And I think you're right. I love when you said there's that resilience pit or that resilience yeah. gap. So I think yeah. it's not about who we blame. It's more about finding a way to communicate and bridge the gap. Correct. And to me, the, the key is self-mastery, is understanding who we are. So our parents also have that opportunity. You know, when I was working in schools, I always did a parent session. And one parent says to me, you can't teach my children about emotions. I go, really, why not? And they go, because they don't understand mine. I said, great, let me teach you about yours. So which is why when I work in schools, I always do parent groups and or I always do family groups. And where I'm different, I don't charge an individual price. I charge a family price because I just love it when the whole family comes on board because yeah. you know mum's learning it with the young people you know the young people are learning with mum and they're just in this beautiful learning space together and connected space together and then they just go you know because I talk about um, I don't talk about emotional regulation I look at life a little bit differently and I say to them you know what's happening for you at the present moment is that your nervous system is not tuned up you know, just like a car needs to tune up, you've got to service it to keep it going, you know. What we need to do to keep us going yep. as people is to tune up our nervous system. So, And I use music and a few different ways of doing that. So I get them all to sit down and, like I had one little voice, Mum, your nervous system needs tuning up now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah, you're right. It actually does. Time Let's for a do wheel it. alignment. I love it. <laughs> Time for a wheel alignment. Time for an oil change. That's Absolutely. Great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I want to get I want to get a bit granular and get some insight into what are some of the strategies that kids, parents, and teachers can use to rectify this situation and bridge the resilience gap. So maybe I'll give the floor to you to give us a little bit more on some serious strategies that people can employ after this show. Yeah, totally. There are lots of strategies, actually, and it's interesting because, as I said, like when I work with a group or work in a school, no groups exactly work in the same way. And when I became a psychologist, you know, like when you go to a psychologist, amazing people, but they'll, they'll give you the strategy of deep breathing, okay. you know, so which is awesome. That's exactly what we need to do. And I go, and when they came back to school, you know, when I sent off our young people and they'd come back to school before I was a psychologist, I said, what did the psychologist say? And they said, Oh, something about that deep breathing thing, but I'm already doing it. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't be alive. I go, yeah, yeah, okay. So <laughs> then I had no transference of skills from the psychologist across to um, back to school. You know, the student wasn't able to use any skills. So I looked at that for quite a while. And what I realized was the psychologist wasn't explicitly teaching the skill of deep uh, breathing. Uh, gotcha. So that's where I blend teaching and psychology together. Nice. So putting on my teaching hat, I went, mm, okay, so what I do, I use an expandable and I use different um, objects yeah. for them to get the idea that that's the stomach and then we get that breath up throughout, throughout mm. 
a diaphragm. diaphragm and we get that moving. So because in my children's storybook in the early childhood one, we learned that our diaphragm can sleep. It's a bit like a sleeping bear in a cave and it's quite comfy, mm-hmm. you know. And we also have to talk to the unconscious mind as well as the logical mind. So if I say to you, we're going to learn a breathing pattern today, the unconscious mind goes, hmm, breathing pattern. I'm already breathing. Once again, otherwise I wouldn't be here. I don't need to listen. If I say to you, what we're going to do today is I'm going to teach you how to circulate the oxygen around your body using your diaphragm. The unconscious mind goes, hmm, diaphragm sleeping. I'm not doing that part of the process. Nice. So then the unconscious mind comes on board. It's logical. So the child knows exactly what they're doing within their body and we teach that diaphragmatic breathing now i do that either through expandables i've got a computer program that helps them to get that visualization process in as well but that's one of the main key strategies and there's a thousand out there you know you've got your shapes you can google on the um computer as well different breathing techniques but unless we explicitly teach it and what i've got is actually you know i've got a a little person (laughs) that's got the nervous system and their diaphragm and i've so i've got this this way of representing it so the logical mind knows exactly it's got the visual of what i'm I'm going to learn as well Um, because most often what we do is we breathe from our chest and when we breathe from our chest we cut off the oxygen supply to our brain our brain goes "Mm, i've got no clues what you want me to do so once again, getting that that oxygen moving through your body. Now, for some children, sitting still doing that isn't a good idea. They go, oh, no, I'm checking out. Even though my unconscious mind says, it's okay, we can do it, I'm checking out for a different reason. So with those students, we, what we do is we go through movement patterns. Gotcha. So, and we create a whole pile of movement patterns and they get to create their own as well. It's a lot of choice. So one of them goes stamp, stamp, <laughs> pat, pat. And then what you do from here is you bring your breast down. Uh-huh. So you get that. And when you do that three or four times, so you just go stamp, stamp, pat, pat. What you're actually doing is you're actually circulating the oxygen around, but you're also putting an energy perspective into it as well and a movement perspective. So you're getting that that oxygen and energy flowing at the exact same time. So, you know, like marathon runners, the first thing they actually learn to do is to check where the energy and breath is because unless that's in rhythm, unless that's flowing, they actually can't do the marathon. Sure. So, so I work out what movement patterns or what exercises children do. And my four were all different. Like for my elder son, he was a basketball player. So bouncing, bouncing the ball for him, yep, moved, his oxygen, yep. moved his oxygen, moved his energy beautifully. So he'd go off and do that. Yep. Um, my daughter was into reading. So she was okay with the expandable type process and she had a good visualization so she could just use her mind and we're all good we're all connected and and off she went um then my other two children one was riding his bike so i'd send him off to oh you need to circulate the oxygen around your body you can go ride your bike because riding a bike is awesome for getting that oxygen moving and also to get the energy moving at the same time and then my youngest one was a swimmer so you know, we don't have to be sitting still. So sometimes we have the myth that, you know, to get that oxygen flowing, we need to be in that meditative state or that mindfulness space. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't teach either of those techniques. I do it quite differently because I, it needs to be integrated into our everyday lives and make sense. That's right. And makes sense for me. And that's why I love working with families because there is no one size fit all strategy, but we can apply the basic strategies. Another one I do is with our thinking. Because we have a default mode network in our brain 
and it's there to check in for safety. It sits alongside the amygdala, quite beautifully sits in there. And its job is to check for safety first. Yeah. So, But basically what sometimes happens is we've had a little bit too many tricky life experiences, I call them. So it sort of gets stuck on the on position and it doesn't learn to flip from positive to negative. Ah, okay. So once we go into experience, it checks to see if it's okay. If it's okay, it goes, yep, it's okay. It flips to positive and off I go. Some children's are stuck in negative. So we actually get a light switch and we learn to actually activate that switch within right. our within our brain so we can actually practice flipping it from negative to positive and positive to negative. So um, I love to do both ways. Like some people teach, we just need to have positive thoughts. Now, positive thoughts are awesome. Totally love them. But there's actually a time and a purpose to also have those negative thoughts. Yeah. Because you know they also serve as a purpose, and they're also there to teach us a lesson for whatever that might be for for you. So if you were to come to, you know, I love exploring your negative thoughts as much as I love you to flip from positive. And I say to the kids, because they've all heard about positive thoughts, we have to have them. And I'll say, now what's a time when you might be having a positive thought, but you actually need to flip to the negative? They go, really? <laughs> There's this a time when that should happen? I said, yeah, yeah, there should be a time when that happens, you know. But they just get curious around that and they un and we quickly work out what those experiences were supposed to be all around. Because I had this whole little boy once and this was before I was a psychologist and he was um, in this really interesting position in the playground. And I went, why are you staying there? Why aren't you moving? I, I felt like, are you in freeze? Because, you know, you're not fighting, you're not in flight. And I said, what was happening? He said, I was using my positive thoughts. And I went, huh, maybe not the right time. <laughs> you needed to be out of there. He says, yeah, I knew that. And I wanted to run. But because he was being taught um, in a way that, you know, if I sat there and say, this isn't happening to me, I'm awesome. I'm I'm really happy. You know, everything's happening is okay around me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I just went, hmm, wrong time, wrong place. Very, very cool. But what about for the parents? What What can they do? They can come along and connect with me as well. But basically, like when you work with me, basically what I do is I give you a whole pile of resources. So the Resilience Tutor becomes your fridge, yeah. you know. So for the parents, it's once again coming in and understanding who they are and understanding where their emotions and energy is before they go. So say Johnny's having a tantrum. So tantrum is energy just coming out in a whole pile of chaotic and different ways because the body and brain haven't coordinated to know what's happening yet. Yeah, yeah. The best thing a parent can do at that point in time is, and tantrums do not last forever. It might feel like it in the in the moment, but the best way to stop a tantrum from happening um, midfield tantrum is to set ourselves up, as I call, to be calm, centered, and focused. So bringing yourself, making sure your oxygen it's flowing yeah, through your body, making not, sure. Not mirroring what's happening in front of you because then they're yeah, just yeah. Things. You really want to. You just want to close your eyes. So I close my eyes and go, quick, calm-centered focus. Yeah. But I get myself into the space. Even when I was in schools, you know, children on roofs, yeah. um, I would make sure I was in that space of calm-centered focus before I went into any situation because we want the child to become calm-centered focused. So if the parent is in that calm-centered focused way, you don't even. onto them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You don't even need to use words. So when I do any behavior management, if that's what you call it, I don't call it those terms, but that's what society calls it. Um, there's no, there's no language. There's no exchange of words. Yep. You know, I mean, it's communication is 80, 90% nonverbal. Correct. 
Yeah. So you learn to whisper when you come to work with me as a parent. You learn to go, oh, that's cool. really, Johnny, come over here because this is what's happening right about now. I like that. And then the kids just come in because they really are curious. I did that with 25 students in the classroom. That's and you've got no brilliant. idea how much I've got their attentions in two seconds. Yeah, see, that's that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden she's whispering, must be something happening. I'm curious now. It's, it feels like it's a secret society all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I want to hear, and all of a sudden you've got 25 kids at your feet wanting to hear what you've got to say. Mm-hmm. And, I can, and I continue to use my low voice until I've got everybody where I need them and then I come back to a normal speaking voice. But there is a lot of different strategies that you can use. Once again, it's getting that connection right and you being in that nice, calm-centred, focused way and then the children They just mirror you. And like I work with a lot of children who have autistic spectrum disorder and I've studied the brain. There's a lot of research around this now that what they, what's happening in their brain is they actually have less mirror neurons than we do. Right. Interesting. So that is the reason why they can't read what's happening for us because that mirror neuron activation isn't isn't as active. So it's either not there at all, not not as active or, or limited in some way. So that connection. So when they go, oh, wow, I just have less marine neurons than everybody else. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I teach them ways that they can use that through mirroring, use that technique to be able to understand what's happening for others. And they go, oh, my gosh, you know, it reminds me of Shelton and Big Bang Theory. Oh, my gosh, I just worked out that that wasn't sarcasm. Oh, I just worked out what was happening for you, you know. And they, when they first learned that, it's just like Sheldon going, that was sarcasm, wasn't it? <laughs> you know? And they go, did you feel this, you know, because we make it into a, and not a game, well, I suppose it is a game, but a fun way mm. that they can learn and understand what's happening and how their brain is formed in comparison to somebody else's. And then when they just get curious about that, they take it wherever they go. When I was a child, um, I always thought I was non-creative uh-huh. because creativity to me was art, singing, dancing, all those things I wasn't good at. And didn't matter how much I mirrored, somebody else didn't matter how much I watched. <laughs> I could formulate it in my mind beautiful, but the actions just weren't coming out yeah. into the way that I wanted them to come out, you know, so it wasn't happening for me. Um, so I quickly learned out then how to use a mirroring technique for children to be able to understand exactly what that looked like, sound like and feel like for them. But what I do now is I bring creativity into the room. So I've redefined creativity for me. So I bring into the room the concepts that I love to teach you and the concepts I love to share with you. And then what you do is explore them in any way that works for you. So an example is I was working with these teenagers and we were exploring values, beliefs, mission, purpose, all of those types of things, you know. And this one little boy goes, and we're sitting there and he drew 25 humans. And I'm just sitting there watching and going, okay, we've got 25 little people, they're happening. And I went up to him and said, oh, I'm curious, you know, do you want to share a bit with me or tell me a bit more? And he goes, well, these are 25 humans. This human over here has this vision, this mission, these values, these beliefs. This human here has these values, these beliefs, and this, and he went through all 25, and they were all different. And I went, awesome. I said, well, which one are you? You know, are you one of these humans? He goes, no, no, no. I'm this human over here, and these are my values, these are my beliefs, and this is what I'm going to do. But I couldn't have thought of that exercise. I do use it, I'll have to confess, because it was pretty cool. But (laughs) (laughs) um, 
I couldn't have dreamt to sit behind my desk and dreamt up what that might look like. So I just now bring the concepts to the children and allow them to explore what that concept actually means for them. Um, And and that to me is the creativity and and mix that with curiosity and we've got a whole pile of stuff happening. Yeah, I love it. It's a mix between creativity, curiosity and being aware of your own energy and emotional level so that the kids can mirror it. Correct. Correct. I love that. Very cool. Yeah. Well done. And if people want to work with you, tell us a bit more about how you actually work. Yeah. I've got my website, resilientitutor.com.au, or through all of the socials as well. But I work generally in small groups with children. It goes between five to six weeks, depending on the children in the group, and sometimes seven weeks. And we have four children or four families online at the nighttime, and we explore each concept each week. So one week we will explore thinking, one week we'll explore energy, one week we'll explore emotions. So I've created what I call my beginner's level. Now, my four characters are part of, play a part of that because you actually get the badge. So when you do beginner level one, you go through all of the basics of what that looks like. Um, and because it's an awareness level, like because emotions and thoughts, these are large topics. You know? I can't teach you in one week, but I can see that curiosity when we go and explore that. And, of course, we use the journal for that part of the process as well. So then you get the the first badge. Think that one's our badge. Yep. Then it comes back to do level two, and that's turtles badge, and we go through the power of perspective. Nice. So we take the concepts that we've learned in the first six weeks, and we we up level them to for the next six weeks. So you're delving deeper because, and I know there's a thousand theories out there. Don't get me wrong, but I teach everything from a skill perspective. So I teach you emotions as the skill. Now, the reason why I do that is because when we've mastered that skill of emotions, therefore, that's where the term self-mastery comes from, because I've mastered the skill. So in the second round, we go through the power of perspective and we go through a deeper process of learning and you get that badge. Then you come back and I always offer a 10% discount each time you come back through the cycle as well, because I just love to give back. And then you go through um, the self-discovery phase is what I call it. Um, and we go through a whole pile of different topics, but we've taken the first lot of basic topics and we've just taken them to a deeper level. And then, of course, the fourth program is six weeks again, and it's a resilience program because when you're finished that program, you are totally resilient by that. Wow. So it's a good six months to finish all the modules. Close to it. But you've really gone on a journey. You know, from that very first initial of just understanding what my emotions are, understanding what my thoughts are, understanding what my energy is. And then we flow into the other programs as well. And it's interesting um, because the kids just love learning. Like I can't, they were all created. I only created my first program and I took the children through the first program. They go, oh, well, what do I do next? I went, well, you just keep exploring those concepts and putting them into your life. And they went, ah, and then I went, okay there's more. So that's when, okay, the power of perspective came in because, yep, I went, okay, let's take this deeper. And then the first lot of groups finished and they go, well, what's next? I'm going, really, you want more of this stuff, you know? And they went, yeah, yeah. So that's when I created the next two levels. So it's really been guided by the children that I have worked with right the way through my career. So I'm exceptional, thankful to them um, around their curiosity, which is why I then knew I was on the right track in terms of understanding what resilience really looked like. And I actually used a very different name for my programs 
before because I, I love Tommy. Tommy stands for teacher of me, myself and I, and I do believe we can all become teachers of me. And that's in my first book yeah. um, that I really believe that we can do that. And then um, and in the second book, you, become, you learn to become a LOM. It doesn't quite rhyme. I hate it when my acronyms don't work because that's a leader of me um, <laughs> type stuff. So I used to call it the Tommy Academy. And then, of course, in marketing and branding, they're going, no, that doesn't make that makes sense to me. That's your passion, baby. But, you know, the, the world needs to know what it is that you're doing. So I went to my family's, I was working with the time, I says, I need to rebrand. What am I doing? <laughs> you know, what is it that I do? And they said, well, really what you do is you tutor us about resilience. And they said, yeah, you're, right. the resilient, you're the resilience tutor. Resilience tutor. Yeah. I actually love that name. <laughs> you know, so my families that I've worked with, the kids that I've worked with has really shaped, which is the exciting, I've got goosebumps, which is really the exciting part of this whole entire process yep. is they've come on this journey with me and they've really created it for the rest of, for the, rest of the world. Nice. So, and, and like, I know we've got a few more programs to create yet, but um, because I've got children helping me with that, including my grandchildren, uh, um, yeah. because they're way on the journey with me now. My eldest is 15. Wow. My oldest granddaughter is 15 and she just loves talking everything that I talk. I went, mm, I've cloned a mini-me. Right. <laughs> hear those awesome. words come. Every time I work with a child, I go, I hear my words coming back. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, which is lovely, yeah. Do you, do you work with any community colleges or schools? or? Yep, so I have a whole school program as well. So I work in schools. I've done quite a bit of work in the Queensland schools. I've got some schools in New South Wales next year, which I'm really, oh, yeah. really excited about as well. Yeah. So, yeah, you can definitely contact. That's one of my biggest loves. That's where I'd love to see this go. It just be in every single school, part of the curriculum. So I do it differently um, because I have been a teacher. So what I do is, yep, I go in and do my professional development for the teachers so they know exactly who I am. And I'm actually doing my doctorate to evidence-based everything oh, that okay. I do. So I go in and do my professional development. But then what I do is actually go and teach the skill in the classroom. Nice, yeah. so then the teacher watches that skill yeah. and then they teach and we can do a coaching cycle if we want to. So I actually bring professional development into the classrooms and then uh, and the children have got the basic concepts by the time we've gone through the first lot of six weeks Beautiful. and then we also have a whole school language framework because I use language around behavior very different because I write the word behavior on the board I cross it out and I write the word emotions mm. because technically what behavior is is emotions it's manifestation of emotions or your expression of emotion exactly yeah. And um, so I have a whole a whole school language framework as well that I use around that. So the children, because when I used to go to work in schools and I've worked in quite a few and I, because as a guidance officer, you go from school to school sometimes. And, you know, the principal come and say to me, oh, that child won't own their behavior. You go, oh, really? Why not? And they go, oh, they just don't seem to. And go, okay, no problem. So I go up to them and say, wow, I just noticed you had a lot of energy. Then they go, yeah, I just did this, this, and this. <laughs> so it's the way sometimes we use language. We use it. Language is so important. Oh, we use it somehow from, I don't even want to call it a blame way or a negative way, but we use it in an interesting way. The unconscious mind goes, I'm in trouble. Close. Yeah. That's Not right. me. I didn't do me. I'll go into defend mode. Language, defend language, language is what I call it. So important. Yeah, yeah. I call it defend language. And then what I do is use language, which is, you know, it's a bit like using naming conventions correctly. And then I, I talk to them about their emotions. I talk about their energy. I talk about their thoughts. You know, I say to them, I'm guessing you've got a negative thought at the present moment. They go, oh, how do you know? Do you, can you yeah. read my mind? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I have a good go at even guessing what that might be because, you know, it, we can see what's happening for the poor child, you know. But so in going in more of a helpful way with their language and then children then respond very differently back to us, you know. And part of what I do with teachers who do an amazing job is we also go through and look at language as well because sometimes children just receive language differently to other children. Right. So I could, depends on how I use my language. And the same with children, I teach the exact same concepts. I can put you either into a thinking space or I can put you into an emotional space. And I say to the teachers, which one do you want the children in? You pick. Because <laughs> I know where I want them to be and it's in the thinking space. This is how I'm using language to put my children into thinking spaces. Back in the day, and you might remember this from your schooling days, we had what was called um, the thinking chair. If you did something oh, wrong, yeah. go and sit in the thinking That's chair. Right. And I looked at that concept and I went, mm, go and sit in the thinking chair. And I looked at the poor child and I went, oh, you're not thinking. We even gave them an activity, right? So you can write out positive statements. And I looked at the poor child and I went, mm, still seeing struggle. And I Because you're also singling the child out. Yeah, but not in that. A difference. They're not in a thinking space. They're in an emotional space. That's right. So it should have been called the emotion chair, <laughs> you go and sit in the emotion chair, wait for that emotion to go through your body, then you can come back and join me in class. I mean, the whole strategy really wasn't the best strategy to be using, but they really labelled it wrongly in terms of language because that poor child had no chance of thinking because that poor child was busy sitting there yeah, processing every inch of worse. Yeah, and, and you know, the more you sit with an emotion sometimes and you haven't got that helpful person sitting mm. next to you to help you process or, or move through it, yep. um, but then, of course, it only does one thing and it creates beautiful Spirals energy. and festers, yep. Yeah, it creates yep. this beautiful momentum and it yep. becomes this nice little emotion wheel and we know where that lands. That's right. Wow. Where it doesn't land. So, you know... It's been an interesting, I've been very grateful for my career because it certainly taught me a lot. Um, and I've been grateful to work with the young people that I have because they've certainly taught me a lot as well. And that's what I want to bring now to all the schools mm -hmm. as much as I can to allow them to have the benefit of my experience and the way I see the world, which is quite different. But I love it. I know what it I know what it is that I've that I do really connects with the young children and really put, creates those resilient futures for them and they really understand who they are. We're all one big happy person and off we go. Yeah, Doing whatever it is that we need to do. And like some people say to me, oh, you just want to create utopia, everybody to be in this happy space. I said, no, no, I don't actually. Because it's important for us to go through tricky life experiences. And that's what I teach the kids. I said, I can't take away tricky life experiences. And even if I could, I don't want to, because that's where the learning is. That's but right. what I do want to help you do is to come not hit the resilient pit. What I do want you to go through is, that tricky experience comes along. It's going to teach you about something about yourself, the environment, or somebody else. You're going to go through a tricky life experience. You're going to work out what it's here to teach you. And then what you're going to do is move through it. Yes, that's right. To get to the other stage. Then guess what's going to happen again? It's a bit like Groundhog Day. Tricky life experience <laughs> might come back, you yeah. know. But you're oh, a little bit better equipped. Maybe this is the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tricky life experience comes back. You're going to do it again. <laughs> You know, yeah. the more you do it, the better you get at it. Hundred <laughs> percent, just like anything. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done. Well, I mean, Lynn, if people want yeah. to find you, just the resiliencetutor.com.au, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all Instagram, the norms. Instagram, LinkedIn, great. 
and yep. they can contact you and d- discuss yep. any programs and if any schools or yep. educational institutions want to reach out, they can as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. Love well, it. Thank well, you. Really appreciate you coming on the show. That was fantastic. I love your energy and your passion. Thank and you. you've found a way to really distill down and make things really simple, I think, which is really important for yep. kids, parents, and teachers. And yep. I like the way that you've also highlighted that you have to teach. It's not about telling someone that they need to go breathe. It's showing them how to breathe. That's exactly right. Really important. Good old Benjamin Franklin had something going because he had a saying that when something like this, you know, tell me and I forget, teach me and I learn, involve me and I learn forever. I love that. Something like that. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I I always like to give my guests the last word. So what would you like to leave us with or leave the kids with or leave the parents or the teachers with anything in particular? I enjoy what life is here for, what you're here for to enjoy in this lifetime. I do believe it is the ultimate experience. I do believe we can go through this lifetime and really enjoy and evolve into the person that we've come here to be and become. And what I love about our ultimate experience is that we're all unique. We're all different and that's the way it's meant to be. Let's enjoy our uniqueness. Let's Let's enjoy our journey and see where life goes. Love it. Yep. As yeah. Oscar Wilde says, says, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Yeah, that's exactly I think right. That's so cool. So yeah. true. Well, Lynn, I really enjoyed that. Everybody out there, please check out all Lynn's books and her program. I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can find her. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Have a fantastic weekend. And we'll see you very, very soon for our next episode of Playing With Perspective the Suspended Animation Podcast. Bye for now. Thanks again, Lynn. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Playing With Perspective, the Suspended Animation Podcast. If you would like to join me as a guest on the show, I would be delighted to collaborate. Feel free to buzz me on 0414 659 800 or email me on darren at suspendedanimation.com.au. I'm always on the lookout for great guests who can share their stories and expertise with my community. Also, if you have been thinking about putting your own podcast together and not sure where to begin, look no further. I run a really simple three-part podcasting course, one-on-one with me, where I walk you through the entire podcasting journey. You will end up with a fantastic new podcast to start sharing right away. Feel free to get in touch to discuss further. But for now, though, have a fantastic day and I'll see you next time.